Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, joined again by my lovely co-host, Shelly. How's it going, Shelly? Oh my God. What, have you turned over a new leaf or something, Serge? You're so sweet to me lately. It is my resolution. You know what they say, new year, new me. I'm going to be the sweetest I can be, so... Thank you so much, Serge. I am rested, refreshed, and so excited about what the new year is going to bring us and really excited about today's episode because we have joining us today, uh, Jeff Dickey Chasen, who is the job board doctor. <laughs> I can spit that out, believe me. <laughs> and also we have Steve Rothberg, who is the founder of College Recruiter. Gentlemen, welcome once again. Hi there. I think I got a cavity from uh, Serge when he, when he was starting out there. <laughs> right? so, but anyway, carry on. <laughs> I'll take it though. I'll take it. How many times have you been on the show, Jeff? I think this is your third time. And obviously you're a new collaborator with your updates. Everyone listening, if you haven't gone, do go listen to the year-end recap of everything that's happened in work tech and job boards in 2021. Could I start with you, Stephen, and share with me any big surprises of what happened or maybe what didn't happen? In 2020. But what didn't happen is that there was a lack of investment didn't happen, if that makes sense. 2020 was by far the largest amount of money invested into the space, not just job boards, but all kind of work tech. It blew away every previous year. And 2021 was almost four times that. That's staggering. The numbers in 2020 was around $5 billion, And then last year, it was almost $18 billion investment in work tech space. Pretty incredible. Jeff, I'm going to ask you, do you think it's going to be higher this year? I'd say there's a potential. I've heard other people say, no, we've hit the wall. That's not going to go any higher. But there's no reason for it to go lower at this point. There's still a lot of money floating around out there. And There's consolidation at the top that's going on. There's new players that aren't necessarily visible to us from inside the industry. They're trying to move in. Look at what Process did by uh, buying Stack Overflow. I think everyone was floored by that. Like, where the heck these guys come from? I can guarantee you there's other companies like that. They're going to be coming in. They're going to be making acquisitions. They're going to be making investments. And then all these startups that keep getting money and keep getting money, job and talent. Apparently, every time they cough, someone gives them another hundred million. So I think it's going to go at the same level or higher in 2022. I just don't see what would hold it back at this point. Wow. There were so many things that happened. And probably the biggest one was Zip Recruiter's IPO or mm-hmm. direct listing. What was your thoughts on that? Were you surprised by that, Stephen? I was surprised about Zip Recruiter's IPO only in the sense that it took so long. I think that they were wicked smart and they could have done it at least a couple of years earlier but they weren't in a rush. They didn't need to be in a rush. They did it properly. Some of the IPOs that you see out there are because there's a real need for that money. Firms are burning a lot of cash. And unless they're sold through some kind of M&A activity or an IPO, they're going to run out of cash. And that wasn't Zip's issue. Zip went IPO so that they could take that next big step. Just to build on what Jeff was saying, I agree with everything he said, and I'll just add to it, is I think we're going to see a lot of investment in the industry to fuel global expansion. So 
zip raising $500 million through a debt offering on the heels of an IPO, an equity offering, I agree with Chad and Cheese. You don't just raise that money for kicks and giggles. They're paying a relatively high interest rate. It's a couple of points above prime. And so it's not like in the 80s where it'd be 18%, it was five something percent. But you don't go and raise $500 million at five something percent just to have some numbers in your bank account. You're going to be using that for something and not going to be using that just to hire a few people because hiring a few people doesn't cost that. So I think the only logical answer is M&A activity. Mm-hmm. And I could absolutely see Zip taking their business model and really building it out in the UK or Australia or someplace where boy, posting pricings are $1,200 for 30 days and Zip can come in there at 200 bucks and capture 30% of the market. That's where I think they're going to use that money for. Dave, and I've got to jump in on this too, because you talked about the globalization effect. And one of the things that happened towards the end of this year is StepStone started getting ready for an IPO. And mm-hmm. StepStone, for those of you that aren't familiar with them, is a subsidiary of Axel Springer. It's based in Germany, dominant in Germany and Central Europe, but it also has a number of properties in the UK and it's bought a few companies here in the US. And I would be completely non-surprised to see them IPO, turn around, take the money and buy a major property in the US because they've been thinking about doing that for a long time. And so Zip, they're not dumb. They're watching what these other companies are doing uh, apart from Indeed and saying, yeah, we needed to IPO so that we could continue to expand, but we also need more money for acquisitions. You know, JobSync, I think they're the perfect example of a company that Zip would acquire because they could leverage the heck out of that property. So I think one thing that they need more than anything else is a podcast, right? I mean, if, if either one of these organizations were to, and I'm hearing rumors that they want to grossly overpay uh, for that also. I'll answer their call any day. We're not adverse to getting bought. And just for the audience to know, a zip recruiter just yesterday, I believe, was announced that they're trying to sell 500 million of junk bonds to get that liquidity. And you're completely right. What would they be doing with that money is not to hire more people. And zip recruiters, Achilles heel is their presence outside of North America, even outside of the US. So how do you do that? And what I'm looking at is talent.com. Talent.com has done a pretty good job of expanding outside of North America. They're raising a ton of money, as you were saying. So I think there is a fit. So prediction, first prediction of 2022, ZipRecruiter will buy talent.com. Let's see if that happens or not. Talent.com, a Canadian company as well. We're seeing a lot of progress in the Canadian job board market. Give me a bold prediction for 2022, Stephen, that's going to happen in job board world. So you stole my thunder there, Serge. (laughs) (laughs) He does that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll pivot a little bit then. And I won't say the same thing that you did, but that was going to be my prediction um, for the record. But um, Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I could see a stepstone, like Jeff says, once they've gone public and they have that infusion of capital, they've always been well-funded, but having IPO money behind them is different than going to private equity or going to original shareholders. And something that's really been on StepStone's list for a long time is to buy a large, somewhat dominant job board in the North American market. I could see them taking that dominant job board 
then building out from there. One of the key issues in any kind of acquisition is talent, not the talent that your job board sends to the customer, but who is actually running that job board. And because as smart and savvy as those folks are in Germany and Poland and South Africa and other places where they have job boards, they don't understand the North American job board market as well as people who are in North America. And they bought AppCast, what, four years ago? Mm-hmm. But yep. AppCast isn't a job board. And that's not the acquisition that you then turn around and build out a job board business with. I think that a large part of that acquisition was actually about keeping it out of the hands of Indeed. So do they buy Telru? Do they buy talent? If I was one of those organizations right now, I would be having a lot of phone calls with my investment bankers and learning about the auction, the bidding going up between those organizations. Well, we had Tad from Telru coming on the show later this month. So I'm going to ask him that question specifically. And I'm going to say it's coming from you, Stephen, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. I'm sure if he heard that I said that, I'm sure that any confidentiality agreements that he may have entered into, he would just completely disregard because that's just how much weight um, I would have uh, in in that discussion. Yeah, perfect. That's great. Jeff, what's your thoughts? (laughs) Big, bold predictions and don't Uh, steal mine like uh, Stephen, please. (laughs) No, I'm not the kind of person that Stephen is in that regard. Um, (laughs) On with Tim Sackett, the big news for me last year was when CareerBuilder got a new logo. Um, Mm. I thought that was incredibly exciting and it shook the core of the industry. And so my prediction for this year is that indeed we'll get a new logo. That's (gasps) actually doesn't look like a ripoff of the Amazon logo. That's my hope. You can't see our face audience. This is sarcasm. Let's just make that clear. Let's talk about recruit. Let's talk about recruit. So recruit is, the dominant player in this space will be going into the next three, four, five years. But they're starting to feel some pressure, right? The Zip Recruiters is making some roads in North America. They acquired Glassdoor, and Glassdoor already, in my opinion, seems to be a relic. Glassdoor will die. Mm. In our lifetime, actually, Joel Cheeseman was talking about it. People going on TikTok and giving their reviews there and and quitting on the spot. I think that's where it's going and how uh, Generation Z is is approaching it. I don't think they're going to go to Glassdoor and type in this place is a shitty place to work. So what is going to happen to recruit? They've had massive growth in the last year. Do you see that machine keep rolling? I do see it rolling, but I see it. I think a little bit differently than you do. I don't think that the folks at Recruit or their properties like Indeed look at other job boards as their closest competitors. Yeah. I think they look at other staffing companies as their closest competitors. Recruit is a a Japanese holding company. The bulk of their revenues come from some staffing. So these guys know staffing. Unlike some job boards who think that they know what staffing is all about and actually don't, or staffing companies like Ronstadt that buy a job board and then discover that it's not quite the same business. It's like the difference of owning a high-end steak restaurant versus like hot dog stand. At the end of the day, you're providing food to people, but the way that you provide it and how you price it and how you market it, very different. Um, Staffing companies and job boards are quite different. If I was somebody at Indeed or Recruit, I would be focused far more on competing against the RPOs, competing against the the big staffing companies and potentially acquiring those 
the Indeed brand, their model, their execution, amazing. But they are rapidly moving away from anything that would be a traditional job board product, like a post and pray duration-based posting. That's so far in their rear view mirror, they can hardly even see it. Just tying back to what we were talking about a moment ago from the European players potentially looking at entering into the North American market. Could you comment on what you think the recruit holdings and the Japanese did in coming into the North American market? I don't know if it was a matter of patience, but what do you think the other companies that are looking at job boards and trying to enter into the North American market, what page out of Recruit Holdings book should they be taking? The, the patience of Recruit, I think, is a reflection of their Japanese heritage. They don't look at performance on a quarterly basis or even an annual basis. They're looking 10, 20 years out. Mm-hmm. And way back when Indeed was just getting started. One of the smartest things that they did was to define their customer as basically anybody who would want to buy traffic from them. So you had job boards who were far more sophisticated and far more likely to spend money on buying traffic, Indeed's big customers. And then Indeed slowly started to move away from the job boards and for providing them free traffic. And then they started to do the same thing with staffing companies. And now they're even doing the same thing with employers. These guys are in it for the long haul. And it's one of the reasons when I look at a stepstone that I'm super bullish because the Germans have the same sort of, if this year isn't all that good, that's fine. Because we care a lot more about where we're going to be five or 10 or 20 years from now than we do about in Q1 of 2022. And the Americans and to some extent Canadians, not quite as much. I grew up in Winnipeg, so I've got a little bit of a handle on that. We don't the, claim you, by the way. So I, you know, like Celine Dion and Justin Bieber, I'm, I'm not allowed back in. So, but we look at stuff far too short term. And it leads us into a lot of bad decision making. Agreed. So, and Stephen, I was going to say one of the other companies that we haven't talked about, which I think share similarities with Recruit and Stepstone is Seek. They are literally the only company that I know of that's fought indeed on its home turf and successfully beat them, pushed them out in the market for all intents and purposes. Seek has that sort of same long-term philosophy. They've actually got their own fund that sits there and invests in other recruitment technologies and other recruitment companies. They own shares in Job Street. They own shares in one of China's largest job boards. They've got fingers in South America. They've got properties in Southeast Asia. They're all over the world and they really fly under the radar. But the thing about them is They have that long-term view. They're saying, we're investing in all these different places and we're doing it to get a foothold, expand recruitment, and we're willing to try anything. And I agree with you. In the US, that mentality doesn't really exist. It's sad, but I think it's a product of the stock market. I worked for several companies that became public. And I remember the corrosive effect that going public had on Dice. Mm -hmm. And I certainly saw the corrosive effect that it had on Monster. Of course, a lot of people make money, but from a company perspective, it's not always the best thing in the world to IPO. So, Jeff, does that mean that the Job Board Geek podcast IPO is off? Does that mean that we're not? <laughs> got to be in it for the long haul. 300 episodes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. 300 episodes. Let's talk about short-term and long-term thinking. Facebook Jobs announced last week that they were shutting down everywhere outside of North America. And my first reaction was like, shut it down in Canada and the US as well, because it's a piece of shit. So... Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Jeff, what's your thought? Really yeah, yeah well, Jeff. Yeah, I I feel like I've looked at Facebook trying to crack the recruitment nut for almost the whole time I've been consulting, and I've been in this gig for 13 years, and, and I just feel like. One, I don't think they're serious about it in sort of a top-level corporate, this is one of the three pillars of our business kind of thing. Two, I don't think they bring in the right people that actually understand recruiting because you have to have people in an organization that really understand how companies recruit at different levels, little companies, mid-sized, large companies. And then finally, you have to be willing to be persistent over the long haul. And they failed on all three levels, you know, and every few years they come back and say, okay, this time we're going to do it. And then it fizzles along and okay, we're going to do it again. So I'm, I'm with you, Serge. I think they should shut down in the U S and Canada because they're Facebook. They're already focused on the metaverse. You know, who knows what Zuckerberg's really thinking about doing, but it's not going to be recruitment. It's a waste of their shareholders money. If they stay in the market, in my opinion. I agree. The execution was probably the worst that I've ever seen because being a practitioner and having Facebook jobs installed into my ATS and getting applicants coming from it, 90% of the candidates were clicking on apply now, but not realizing that they don't have any information in their work section of Facebook. So you're getting 100 applications with a name and a job they had 14 years ago when they signed up on Facebook and they put their first job there and nothing updated. Like candidates mm-hmm. were not realizing this. Hiring managers was like, what are these people doing? I never want to talk to them. They're applying the wrong way. I'm like, it's not their fault. It's how Facebook jobs set it up. What's your thoughts, Stephen? Are you a big fan of Facebook jobs? I think the two of you are just bitter because not enough people like your posts on Facebook. <laughs> um, what you need to do is go to a beach and show your bare legs and painted toenails and you'll get lots of likes. And, <laughs> um, oh, I've tried that, Stephen, on OnlyFans and um, did not get a good response. <laughs> didn't take off. <laughs> well, at least you won't have a tax issue this year. Um, I think one of the things that Facebook struggles with the job market reminds me of is some of the things that at a much, much smaller scale that we've struggled with at College Recruiter. And that is, we will have customers that are tempting to us to land their business, to sell to them, to renew to them. And at the end of the day, what we need to do to properly serve those accounts is really different from what we need to do to serve our other accounts. So we have our ideal customers, and then you have these occasional ones that come along and they want to write you a big check. But in order for you to deliver the service that they're buying, you have to substantially deviate from the process that you already have or offer them a really different product. And jobs, because of all of the uh, non-discrimination laws, are very much like that. So if you want to market shortening on Facebook, put an ad up for people to buy shortening, you can absolutely target women between the ages of 50 and 65 who live in these areas and have these different likes. But if you want to do that with jobs, no way. If you want to do with housing, no way. And that deviation from their standard process. If I was at Facebook, is it worth it? Is it worth it for us to build out this whole new process 
and to try to put in safeguards to ensure that if Surge wants to post a job, that he doesn't somehow get it into the system in a way that appears to be discriminatory and maybe even is discriminatory and therefore harms Facebook's brand. At the end of the day, how much money are we going to make off of Surge's job posting? versus the shortening ads that we're selling. And I just think that the juice isn't worth the squeeze to Facebook. (laughs) Very catchy. (laughs) To coin that, oh my God. So can we also talk a little bit about Google for Jobs? Because I said right from the start, I know I got pummeled by Chad and Cheese and Surge for how dare I say that Google for Jobs isn't going to work. Uh, For the exact same reason Facebook wouldn't. They don't understand employment. The argument was always they know search. They understand search. What they don't understand, though, is how companies hire. I said that from the beginning and everybody was like, oh, patting me on the head and saying Shelly just doesn't understand. So can somebody please chime in here now? Shelly, I just have to jump in because I was one of those people that said you were wrong. I think the first time I came on. Um, You're still wrong for some different (laughs) reasons. So let me put it this way. Google for Jobs is not trying to do the same thing that Facebook for Jobs was doing. Facebook Mm -hmm. for Jobs is essentially trying to be a job board. Google Mm -hmm. for Jobs is trying to, to improve their traffic so they can monetize by improving the results that their candidates get when they look for stuff, which I think was a really smart approach. From the job board side of the fence, most of my clients have seen a reasonable amount of traffic come through from Google for Jobs. When they format their jobs to match the schema, they get a lift and it's an indeed killer for those guys. From the candidate experience, I've heard this over and over again because I sit and talk to college students all the time about looking for work. And they say, yeah, you know, I really like it. It's easy. It makes sense. I get good results. And the other part of this that we don't see but I think Stephen can speak to is that there are job boards out there using the Google search tool they license and they get better response in terms of when candidates search on their site, they get stuff that matches what they want. There's a higher apply rate. There's a higher satisfaction rate. The employers are happier. So I think it's totally different. I think Google's goals were totally different than Facebook's goals. And sorry to say you're wrong, but you know. (laughs) Okay. No, that's okay. So thank you. I'm not seeing it. So tell me what you're so, saying. So Serge has told Shelly that she's wrong. And Jeff has told Shelly that she's wrong. And Chad Soash and Joel Cheeseman. <clears throat> what do all four of these people have in common? I mean, there's a whole lot of mansplaining going on here, I think. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, give me uh, a break, Steven. Hey, I can pander like the best of them. I was just thinking Canadian the whole time. I wasn't thinking male, female. So, you know, I am as sweet as maple syrup. Another aspect that as an owner of a job board, I can probably see this better than those who are customers, whether those would be job seekers or employers. And that is when Google announced that it was rolling out Google for jobs, a big stated goal was to make job content easier for people to find, to access, to search. They didn't say that searching had to be on Google. Part of what they were trying to do was improve the quality of the content across the internet. And it has had a substantial impact. Other than Indeed, I don't know of any job board anywhere that has just ignored Google for jobs. Virtually every job board has 
change the way that they code their site, the pages that the job postings appear on, to make those jobs easier for Google to read. What's the job title? What's the the low and high range of the salary? What's the company name? And you tag all of those. You tell Google, this field represents the company name. This field represents the job title. This is the job description. These are the job requirements. And if there are 100,000 job boards worldwide, there used to be 100,000 ways of presenting that information. And it was super cumbersome for Google to then figure out what's the job title, what's the company name, et cetera. And remember, nobody's looking at this. It all has to be automated. It has to be perfect every time. And it has to be at scale. And now virtually every job board is using that schema is what Google calls it. And whether that's Google then providing you that information or whether that's Bing or whoever, it all works easier. It is a lot easier to go and find a job online now than it was when Google for Jobs was rolling out. And I think we, we owe Google a thanks for that. And also the job board software companies, there's 40 or 50 software companies around the world that power a lot of the smaller job boards. And all of those are now Google compliant. And that has a sort of a logarithmic effect in terms of all of these thousands and thousands of job boards, as Stephen was saying, they're now using the Google schema. And he's right. And the ATS. And the ATS too, right? right? Yeah. yeah, a lot of ATS. Shelly, remember when we were talking about this and you were really hardcore telling me that I was wrong and I'm like, I'm going to mansplain and say I'm right <laughs> is Google for jobs is okay, going give, to improve the candidate experience across the world, <laughs> even if they never monetize anything they do. And that is happening. Maybe not as quick as we initially thought or wanted, but it is happening But guys, I want to jump in. We have a lot of practitioners that listen to this podcast and there is so much noise when it comes to job boards, different HR tech, and it gets confusing of where they should be spending their money. And unfortunately, a lot of companies don't really know where they're getting results, where they should go. They automatically think of Indeed, ZipRecruiter. But if you were leading a talent acquisition function, how would you look as far as allocation your budget between the big job boards, niche, uh, targeted job boards? How would you approach that? Jeff, I'll let you take that one first. Yeah, where you go in terms of trying to promote your job opportunities or try to find candidates is a function of a couple of things. One is the types of jobs you have, the type of company, are you a company that employs 80% software developers, or are you a company that has a mix of a bunch of different types of positions at different levels? The second part is size, which is gonna drive the frequency of hire. And then the third part is to a lesser degree location and the prevalence or non-prevalence of remote work. So you put those three things together, and that to me is gonna drive what my recommendation would be. So if you're a company that has a very sort of monoculture type of job that you're filling, and it tends to be high volume, and it tends to be widely spread, then you probably should be spending your money on programmatic would be my guess. And you might consider spending money with Indeed, or you might consider spending money with one of the aggregators. If you're a company that's got 
highly skilled jobs and they have maybe a lower rate of need, but you're growing so that your need is continuous. I would say, look at a niche site because you're going to get more bang for your buck. And if you're hiring for people that work in public utilities, if you go with a job board that focuses on public utility experts, it's just going to be better for you uh, than trying to use something like Indeed, which is very broad-based. If you're a little tiny company and you're just hiring one-offs here and there, this may sound like heresy, but if they're non-remote jobs, look at local media, at things like Craigslist and some of the uh, horizontals like the OLXs of the world. There's a lot of options, but it comes back on the employer side to frequency and focus. And is this a job that has to be in my region? All jobs used to have to be in the geography of the hirer. And that's not the case anymore, but it's still a factor for probably 60, 70% of employers. So what we're, what we're talking about here is how to market your job opportunities. Yeah. And if you're talking about how to market your job opportunities and you're a practitioner, perhaps a HR generalist, the likelihood of you having a significant amount of marketing expertise is pretty low. You have some but not as much as the marketing director in your organization or the advertising agency that helps you sell toothpaste. Lean on those people and ask them, what do they do when they're marketing your organization's products or services? And invariably what you're gonna hear is test, measure, test, measure, test, measure. The measure piece is something that I think a lot of advertisers on the TA side don't really have a good handle on. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And different organizations can and should measure differently. So for some organizations, especially a small one, it's pretty easy to know where your applicants are coming from and therefore your hires. And at the end of the day, you need to hire somebody to deliver your pizzas. That's what really matters. But if you're trying to hire a thousand people, you're not going to put one ad on Facebook jobs or Craigslist or Indeed or College Recruiter or Jobilico. You know, you're going to spread that around and you're going to need to get applicants coming from a variety of sources. What I hate to hear is when an employer says that the way that we're going to measure the effectiveness of the job board is on the cost per hire. Because the cost per hire is only a valid metric for the hiring manager. It's not even a valid metric for the recruiter. The recruiter does not hire anyone. The recruiter presents a short slate and the hiring manager chooses who they hire. And if that hiring manager wants to hire her niece who wasn't in the recruiter's list of three recommended candidates, that doesn't mean that the recruiter failed to do her job. She did her job by presenting three well-qualified candidates to the hiring manager. So the recruiter shouldn't be measured on a cost per hire basis. And if the recruiter's not measured on that, then for God's sakes, their tool, the job board, shouldn't be either. So the currency that job boards are typically measured by is the effective cost per application. If you spend $100 on a posting and you're a retailer, you should probably be getting four or five applications from that, somewhere in the $20 to $30 range. And if your job board is delivering applications at that dollar number, then that job board is doing its job. And that you then need to convert those applicants into hires. But that's not on the job board. That's on the recruiter and to a much larger extent on the hiring manager. And one of the things apart from the number of applications that you get is the quality 
of applicants. Mm. I found when talking to employers and in the past hiring a lot of people, describing what a quality applicant is can be very challenging. And I think a lot of organizations jump into trying to market their opportunities, trying to find applicants without ever actually saying, how would we know if Serge was someone that we really want to hire? Does he say bad words on a routine basis? If, if so, is that the definition of a bad quality applicant, or is that the definition of someone we'd like to work with? I think we can all agree that if the candidate pronounces it Z instead of Z, <laughs> that, that they are of a much higher quality. So, you know, I really appreciate that point, Jeff, because I think there's been over the years an addiction to I need hundreds of people to choose from. Or I just need to see five more candidates like this one, which is insane. I know recruiters, one reason why people just decided to get out of the business, it was the hiring manager that keeps going back and saying, well, I just need to see a few more of this quality applicant. You're only trying to fill one job. Mm -hmm. Or if you're trying to fill Mm -hmm. thousands, that's a different conversation. But the quality of applicants and being able to connect that to source, it's it sounds simple, but you know, unless you've got a, at least a half decent applicant tracking system that can tell you that, or as a recruiter, if mm-hmm. we're recruiting in this space, we really should know where to find these. Now, sometimes it's harder to find out what the niche job boards are. That's the ironic part of this is yep. I'd love to find what is the niche job board for business development people in Texas. Mm-hmm. I can't find it. How do we find these niche job boards? Because Programmatic is a long way away from most, um, certainly most here in Canada and even in the U.S. There's a couple of tools out there that are useful for discovering boards that you've never heard of. There's a site called Job Board Finder. I think Mm -hmm. it's jobboardfinder.net. And while they certainly aren't exhaustive, they have over a thousand job boards and they're primarily niche sites. And it's multinational. It's a useful way to acquaint yourself. Another way to discover these sites is by using the Google for Jobs search. Because as Stephen said, all the niche sites are indexing themselves for this. If you go in and you start searching for these jobs in particular locations, they're typically going to come up with 50, 100, 200 jobs that are listed. And you're going to see, you can apply for this through LinkedIn, or you can apply for it through lawncarejobs.com. And that's one of the big side benefits of Google for jobs for niche sites is the greater exposure apart from the traffic. And then I think finally, this is something I learned when I was working with a company that focused on software developers. I went and talked to the people that are involved. And I say, where do you look for jobs? Mm -hmm. Who, Who do you talk to? How do you find this stuff? And particularly when you get into technical stuff, they come up with some really wild things. And I've discovered a number of insanely niche job boards that way. Yeah. Pretending that you're the candidate that you're searching for. If you're a software developer, you are going to find information really differently than if you're somebody who has a moped and you're looking to deliver tacos um, for a few hours a day. The moped person, they're local. They're going to be in your neighborhood. Print up a bunch of flyers at your local mm-hmm. UPS store and drop it in the mailboxes for a you know, four block radius. And you'll probably hire those three people in the next couple of days. You don't have to go and find like delivery drivers in South Broadmoor, Texas. There are other ways of hiring people other than posting jobs to job boards. As a job board owner, I can't believe I just said that. That's really- <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you said that. So guys, 
incredible information. It seems like you guys know something about the job board world. Because of that, you actually started a podcast called Job Board Geeks, which you're now on the seventh episode. How's it going? Is podcasting everything you thought it would be plus more? Or is it just a giant pain in the ass and you're like, why the hell did we do this? It's going way better for me than it is for Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know what I was drinking when I said, oh, yeah, Stephen, that sounds great. You come on as a co-host. It was a bad thing. I think I ate the worm at the bottle of the tequila bottle or something. I, I was going to say, I think that there was salt <laughs> and a lime involved and yeah, little yeah. molasses filled with clear liquid. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, Exactly no, the same thing that happened with me and Shelly is I don't know what I was drinking when I, I proposed. Uh, that, oh, oh, yeah. oh, there, there yeah. goes my resolution. I've already screwed it up, Shelly. <laughs> It was the okay. best thing that ever happened to me was having Shelly come on the podcast. Sorry, Shelly. That's what I, I would meant. agree with that. Yeah, it's been <laughs> fun. Honest to God. I wish you all the best because I know you have so much to give back to the community. Talent acquisition people. I think we're starved for this. I'm so glad you started Job Board Geeks because it helped me understand what's happening, helped me improve. And that really goes to the heart of, of why we continue our, our podcast as well, is just knowing if one person can take one nugget of information from your show or your episode and become that much better. And you were talking about discovery of niche boards. Actually, for your audience, Job Board Geek is probably a good show to listen to because we're talking to people that run job boards that are very different approaches. They're in different niches. And you may stumble upon one that would be perfect for one of your clients. So where can people find it? It's on Apple and Spotify and all that stuff. If you want to just take a quick look at what we've done so far, you can go to jobboarddoctor.com slash podcast. And there's a player insert in there that just lets you look listen to anything that's in our repertoire at this point. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. One of the things that has been really nice, and I, I fully credit Jeff for having the vision for the podcast and what would be the content, what, what would be the audience. And, and then I tagged along to, towards the end of that is we're really focused on bringing to the listeners job board that they may not have heard of. We did an episode recently of a job board that's sales marketing some IT in Boston. For the folks in, in Calgary, that job board's pretty irrelevant. But when you listen to how they approach their business, you can't help but pick up some really interesting tips Mm -hmm. about how they market to the candidates, what the candidates are looking for. And like we talk about in recruiting, transferable skills, Mm -hmm. the information that a recruiter hears from a job board operator can translate into something that recruiter can then use when they're marketing their jobs to their candidates. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you so much. Always wonderful to see you. Thanks for inviting us. Uh, It's been fun, even with Serge. Oh, (laughs) Jeff, you're supposed to be nicer too, right? What's going on here? So do check out Job Board Geeks. Stephen, Jeff, pleasure. Love having you on. So everyone have a great week. Thank you.
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.